Uh, as you may have noticed, uh, Adrian is not here this morning. Uh, I want to pause and uh, just pray for Jonathan, her husband, um, who is ill. Uh, Jonathan had a lot of seizures yesterday morning, uh, through the day yesterday, and is very, very sick. And Adrian did not feel like she could leave him this morning, and so, um, which is what we would want. We'd want her to be there with him, and so we want to pray for Jonathan and Adrian right now. Amen. Lord, we lift up um, Adrian to you this morning, and just pray God that your grace would be upon Adrian and Winter and Jonathan this morning. Lord, let your presence fall on this family. God, we, um, we pray in faith for, hate, uh, for healing, for deliverance, for what it is you want to do in this situation, uh, even in our ignorance, not knowing exactly how to pray. God, we thank you that we have a high priest at the right hand of God the Father making intercession for us right now. Uh, Jesus, you know all things, and we pray that we would pray according to your will. But at this time especially, we just pray for a renewed sense of your presence on Jonathan and Adrian and Winter. Just let your hand be upon them today. In Jesus' name, amen. Take your Bibles, please, and turn to Hebrews chapter 5. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 5. We are going through the book of Hebrews, and we are, we're really at a section where we're talking about how we are confident, but not because we're so great, not because, not because in and of ourselves we have confidence in ourselves, but if indeed Jesus is greater than anything, any circumstance, any situation, any sickness, any uh, past, hurt, anything. If Jesus is greater than, then our confidence is in Christ. And because our confidence is in him and the fact he's greater than, there are some things that we know about who we are. Now, I'm not sure if I'm saying this very well, but the, many of us go through life, I think, with just an overwhelming lack of confidence. Because our confidence many times is misplaced. We look at ourselves in the mirror and we say, I don't know, or I can't. Or some of us actually look in the mirror and we're totally deceived and we think, yes, I can. Uh, <laughs> but in whatever case, overconfidence or lack of confidence, there's a healthy confidence if our confidence is placed in Christ. The book of Hebrews it talks about how in these last days, God has spoken everything through his son Christ. There is no other source of spokenness from God. Jesus is the final and complete, the fullest revelation of who God is. So we look at Jesus and we see everything that God wants us to know about who he is. Because Jesus is fully God and fully man, we have confidence about certain things. And then the author of Hebrews gives a list of therefores, which I've tried to point out to you uh, in these last couple of chapters. Because of who Jesus is, therefore, fix your thoughts on Jesus. Well, that makes sense. If Jesus is fully God, fully human, wherever your thoughts might tend to go, instead, 
fix them on Jesus. And as a result, we have the confidence to hold on, just like we were just singing. I can see a light that's coming. If we'll hold on, just hold on to Jesus. Fix your thoughts on Jesus. Therefore, since the promises of entering his rest still stands, we have confidence to hold on. We have confidence to enter the rest of God. God, um, by rest, I don't mean sleep. I don't mean lack of activity. The author of Hebrews means rest is a, is a position before God where we walk in joy and peace and know who we are in him. We're an anxious culture. We, we, we don't really sense the rest and peace of God, many of us, because of our, our thoughts aren't fixed on Jesus. They're fixed on stuff around us. Therefore, we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, led us. We, we have the confidence. This is really, really great. We have the confidence to draw near to God's presence. We have the confidence that because of who Jesus is, fully God, fully man, we have a high priest who's gone before us. He is there on our behalf. He knows everything. He's gone through everything. He's suffered everything. Therefore, we get to go into God's presence. The enemy would have you believe that these therefores don't apply to you, that you can't hold on. You can't fix your thoughts on Jesus, really, or you can't have rest, or you really can't get into God's presence if, if Jesus is greater than all of our junk, then all of these truths stand. They are who you are, not because you're so special in and of yourself, but because Christ is so glorious. We have the confidence to go into his presence. Today, another therefore. Therefore, this is chapter 6, verse 1. Let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity. We have the confidence that we don't have to stay where we were. We don't have to stay in perpetual immaturity, that we can grow up in him. Now, let me say this. I've preached on this passage a number of times. We've done a whole series on these elementary teachings about growing up. Uh, And so I want to kind of angle it from a slightly different way about how do we actually grow up. Rather than these elementary teachings, I want to talk to us about about growing up. And let me just say, as I enter it, um, well, I'll just go, and then we'll we'll see where we end up by the end of this whole thing. It's a complicated passage. As the waters of Hebrews get deeper and deeper and deeper, uh, Mark Colvin's been waiting for me to get to this passage um, so I can tell him what he believes, and so I'm going to just go into it right now. (laughs) So... Paul back in chapter 5, verse 11. Now, I'm covering chapter 5, verse 11 through chapter 6, verse uh, 13 or 14. But I'm going to kind of skip around because I want to put it in a, in a train of thought that hopefully we can all understand. Je- uh, Paul, not Paul, the author of Hebrews, whoever it is, I keep saying Paul because many people assume, but the author of Hebrews has said, we can enter into God's presence. We have a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. And then he kind of pauses, and, and he wants to say, I've got a lot to say about this, which he's going to say in a minute. He's going to come back to it. He's not going to abandon his thought on who Jesus and Melchizedek are. But before he goes on, he says, 
we've got much to say about this, but it's really hard to explain because you're slow to learn. I love this. This is a real gracious style of writing, isn't it? If you weren't such idiots, I could really move along in this, but you're slow to learn. And he's saying, in fact, by this time, meaning you've been believers long enough, you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. Here's what he's saying. Look, I'm, I'm bumping things up to high school, maybe graduate school. Here, when I start talking about Jesus and the order of Melchizedek and all of those things. But you guys, you, you're still stuck on the elementary teachings. You're still stuck in elementary school when I'm trying to move us along. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. One of the signs of being spiritually mature is what? By now you ought to be teaching. Now he's not talking about the gift of teaching. He's just talking about giving away what Jesus Christ has done for you. The sign of maturity in life is the ability to reproduce. Um, Without getting too graphic, you're an adult when you can make babies, right? That's a sign of maturity. Now, in our culture, we keep delaying maturity. Uh, We're way past that, you know, now it's, you know, because you're not mature until you go to college, until you go to graduate school, and maybe get your doctorate, and now you can't get married until you're 30 or 35, because you're not, but really, you're mature when you have the ability to reproduce, and the author of Hebrews is saying, look, by now, you ought to be teachers, you ought to be reproducing others, but instead, you're stuck in perpetual immaturity, where you're saying, feed me, feed me, feed me, feed me, give me, Give me, give me, give me, give me. Which is a sign of being a baby, right? A baby is one who, look, babies are the most selfish, self-centered little creatures on God's earth. I mean, you look at them and they're, they're, they're beautiful and uh, they're lovely, but they can't do a stinking thing for themselves. I mean, they just want you to feed them, clean them. And then it gets worse. They start talking back to you. (laughs) Then they get mobile. You know, Jonathan Edwards called all children little serpents. Um, Why? Because he believed they're all unredeemed. Uh, He believed that that until they knew Christ, their, their inner self had one goal, and that was themselves only to feed themselves, and the whole world revolved around them and their needs. The author of Hebrews is basically saying, you guys are like babies in the faith. All you're concerned about is you. Now, I don't want to be brutal here, but is that not what we see in the American church? It's really the gospel we see preached. As a matter of fact, some of the largest churches in America are built on the gospel of you. You can have everything you want. You can get everything you want. Just come to Jesus, and now you can be healthy, you can be rich, you can be the best you you can possibly be. 
And you can be that now because it's all about you. Look, that is a baby form of Christianity. The adult form of Christianity, the mature form of Christianity says, how can I reproduce? How can I see others come to know Christ? How can I disciple others? How can I help others who are babies come to full maturity in Christ? By now, you ought to be teachers. By now, you ought to be mature. But what is the church that he's addressing? What is the main concern here? They're thinking, oh, this is so hard. I think I'll go back. At least I knew all the rules of Judaism. I think I'll go back to Judaism. I think I'll go and... Because this is so hard. Another sign of immaturity is what? I just quit. I'm just going to quit. I'm going to sit here in the steps. I'm going to throw a tantrum. I'm just going to quit. Rather than persevering and pressing through. And So they're thinking about going back. So I'm going to come back a little bit. We're, again, we're skipping around, but skip down to chapter 6, verses 4 through 8. Here's what he says about going back. He says, It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the coming age, if they fall away to be brought back to repentance because to their loss they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. Land that drinks in the rain, often falling on it, and that produces a crop useful to those for whom it is farmed receives the blessing of God. But land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless and is in danger of being cursed. In the end, it will be burned. This is a very tough passage. And there's much controversy over what is he talking about? Uh, what does he mean here? I, I, I don't, and I don't want to get too bogged down in this passage, but in order to understand what he's saying in this whole context about growing up, we have to come to some conclusion about what he's trying to say here. And there are really three different perspectives you can take on this passage. The first pers- perspective is this. This is just... He's just merely talking hypothetically, that you can't, there's no way you can come to Christ and then fall away. It's a warning against a sin that's impossible to commit. The writer um, is kind of thinking in a what-if frame of mind. What if you came to Jesus and were really his and now you fall away? Well, it'd be impossible to go back because you can't put Christ back on the cross. The obvious problem with this view to me is, why bother talking about it then? If, if, it's, if it's just hypothetical, then why bother? The second view of this passage is that it is actual, that there are people who have come to know Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior and Redeemer of their lives and now are choosing to go back. Those who hold this view believe that God supplies grace to those who are trusting him, but the ultimate perseverance of any believer is in whose hands? Their own. Their free will. Then any, therefore, any Christian, whatever his state, is capable of, and the word for falling away, by the way, is the word apostasy. Uh, you've probably heard being apostate, apostasy, falling away. So it's either hypothetical or actual or 
Third view is that it's apparent. It looks like a person is a believer, but they're not really a believer. This view that many hold, and by the way, I'll be honest, this is the view I hold, is that those who fall away are not true believers, but rather men and women who only appear to be so. Their people have received a thorough exposure to the gospel. For example, the Jewish believers of the preceding verses and have made what looks like a profession of faith and have been received into the fellowship of God's people. They've seen the Spirit move. they tasted of worship, but it's not really become a part of them. I'll give you my reasons for believing this. I, I believe he's comparing the Jewish believers of this period to the Israeli, the children of um, Israel who went through the desert. Remember, they went through the desert They saw the miracles of God. They walked through the cloud and the pillar of fire. They experienced the presence of God in their midst. They saw miraculous things. They were fed by him. But what happened to them? They died in the desert because of what? Their lack of faith and unbelief. In other words, they were physically children of Israel, but spiritually they were not a people of faith. And as uh, Scott read this morning, it's always been faith. From first to last, faith. Jesus' teaching on the parable of the soils teaches that there are seeds that spring up to life and look like they're apart, but they're really not apart. They get choked out. They're thorns, thistles. Um, they look like believers, but they're not. And then really, it's, it's the totality of Scripture that leads me to believe that God preserves us. God preserves us. Jesus says in John chapter 10, verse 27, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. A lot of passages about nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. 1 John two nineteen. I think he addresses this, pat, this thought directly talking about people who were with them and then went out. He said, they went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. The author, I think, is saying of Hebrews, look, you can't come in and taste and then leave and then taste and leave and taste and leave and taste and that really, we come to know the Lord, we have faith in the Lord, and we, because of who he is, he holds us in, the, in his hand. I believe the picture of Romans is this, that nothing can separate us from the love of God, that when we come to know Christ, however you want to see that miraculous new birth, that God grips us, and nothing can take us out of his hand, if we're truly followers of Jesus Christ. In any case, he's trying to encourage them that you have these two directions you could go. Grow up or fall away. Grow up or go back. And he's painting the picture that going back is not a good idea. He wants to make it clear, going back for wherever you are, it's not good. So rather, let's grow up. Let us, back in verse 3, let us leave the elementary teachings of the 
about Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God, instruction about baptisms, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment, and God permitting, we will do so. And it's in this passage, he gives six different elementary ABCs of the faith. Repentance, from acts that lead to death, faith in God, instruction about baptisms, instructions about laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. He considers these the six ABCs of the faith, the elementary teachings of the faith. And I can't remember how many years ago, it's been three or four at least, where I did a whole series on each and every one of these. And I've done it at least twice in our church uh, to make sure we knew what the elementary teachings, the ABCs were, so that we could move on from there. And if you haven't heard that series, you can get it. They could get it for you if you just let them know in the back if you'd like to know. I don't want to focus on these ABCs this morning because I believe that he's saying, look, here's the elementary foundational things. Now let's move on from there. And then the passage I want to concentrate on, verses 9 through 12, he tells us how to grow, how to move on. And this is the part I want to just look at this morning. He says, even though we speak like this, my dear friends, and he's speaking harshly. I mean, he's really, hey, by now you ought to be mature. I ought to be able to tell you some things, but you're slow to learn. You need to get the ABCs. You need to grow up. If you're thinking about falling back, don't. Bad idea. Instead, grow up. Even though we speak like this, dear friends, we are confident, here's our confidence again, of better things in your case, things that accompany salvation. Again, here's what I, why, again, he is saying, here are the things that really come with being saved. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. Sorry, I'm getting a little fast on the clicker. Uh, we want each of you to show this same diligence to the very end in order to make your hope sure. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what God has promised. Here are some ideas about growth. First thought is this, growth is intentional. Growth is intentional. Back in uh, verse 1, he says, therefore, let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity. The, the command is leave and go on. Here's the challenge of preaching kind of like what I'm preaching this morning and what the author of Hebrews. If you're not careful, you'll think this is all about you. And what he's saying is this, because of what God has done for you, now respond to him. This isn't something you can work up on your own. But on the other hand, if you, if you think it's all about the grace of God and you have to do nothing, then you'll be this perpetual baby. And so there is a response to the grace of God that we have to walk in I can't walk without the grace of God, but at the same time, I can't depend on the grace of God to move me forward without me participating with God. So, for those of you who need the grace of God to say, I can't do this on my own, I, only need, I need the grace of God to help me move forward, please, this morning, hear the grace of God. 
for those who need to get out of your seats and do something, then let's push the other pedal on the bike and move forward in him and say, there's got to be a response to what he's done in my life. The one place I can't stay is doing nothing. Growth is intentional. We have to have an intent to grow. What he says in verse 9 and 10 is this. Even though we speak like this, dear friends, we're confident of better things in your case, things that accompany salvation. God is not unjust. He will not forget your what? Excuse me? Your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. There is intentionality about our growth in the kingdom of God. Paul in Philippians talks about the working out of our salvation. He says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Continue to work it out. Work out your salvation in fear and trembling. Know what God's plan and God works in you, now let it work out of you. Then in Romans 6.13, he says, Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God. The word offer here is the word that's active and intentional. Uh, You're offering yourself to something this morning. What are you offering yourself to? Are you offering yourself to God or are you offering yourself to something else? If you do nothing, if you do nothing, are you going to grow toward goodness or grow toward something else? Well, that's not a hypothetical question, by the way. You will always grow toward decay if you do nothing. We recognize this in the world around us. The second law of thermodynamics. You thought some of you wanted that this morning, didn't you? (laughs) The law of entropy says it's the formal explanation for the natural tendency for physical objects to break down, wear out, and degenerate. Can I get an amen? Some of you experienced this second law of thermodynamics in your lives this week. Your car broke down. Mine did. Dropped a truckload of money on a stinking van yesterday. Some of you have had water heaters blow up. Some of you have had backyards that have been taken over by weeds. Some of you, I mean, just look around you and you see, unless something from an outside influence acts upon it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to decay. Last night, Adrian called me, I don't know what time it was, 9, 9.30, and said she wasn't going to be here this morning. Could I fill in? Um, and I said, of course, you do what you need to do. Here's the problem. I really haven't been playing the piano all that much lately. I mean, I've been busy doing some other stuff, training for some other events and just doing stuff, and I just really haven't sat down at the piano and just really... 
The second law of thermodynamics was at work in my life this morning. Because I have not practiced. I haven't been intentional to just jump back into it. You think, oh, I can do that again. It's no big deal. I've done it for years. Listen, unless you're intentional and staying on top of things, it, it doesn't remain. Piano playing, athletics. I mean, you know this. You know it, but do you really live it? If you think that just coming to church on Sunday morning once a week for this hour and a half is all you need to grow in the faith, oh, people, you're, you're declining and may not even know it. Your growth, intentionality in the Lord has to do with your daily, moment-by-moment walk with Jesus. Take up your cross daily and follow me. The nice thing about apathy is you don't have to exert yourself to show you're sincere about it. (laughs) Comedian Rita Rudner says, I don't panic when I get lost. I just change where I want to go. Some of us are like that. We just shoot an arrow, sticks in a tree, and then we go and draw the target around it. We're not really intentional. And as a result, does this not sound like many people in America, most people don't lead their lives, they just accept their lives. Because there's no intentionality about who we are in the Lord. Growth takes intentionality. Second point is growth and this is the hard one, takes perseverance. It takes perseverance. Here's what he says in verse 11 of chapter 6. We want each of you to show the same diligence to the very end in order that to make your hope sure. Growth is not accidental. It's intentional and has a purpose, and it takes diligence. It takes diligence. And commitment, it takes perseverance. Where there's life, there's growth. Where there's growth, things get hard. And it takes perseverance to keep moving forward. When you're a new believer and you come to know the Lord at first, it seems like your prayers get answered quickly. Things happen. Things start dropping away. Freedom occurs. Things are joyful. It's, I mean, do you remember back when you first became a follower of Jesus Christ? It seemed like more prayers got answered, more prayers got answered quickly. I started walking, you start walking a level of freedom. Things are really going great. And then as life goes along, it seems as if the progress just really plateaus or slows down. And then it becomes, it becomes really hard. What, why is that? I don't have all the answers, but one of the answers I think may be true is once we're baby Christians, we need that, that boost, that confidence to know God is really working in our lives. But then as we go along and our prayers start getting answered and we start praying, answer, praying, answer, praying, answered, what happens? Well, then we start thinking, look at me. I can pray and things happen. And pride actually starts entering our lives. 
we think, oh, mighty man of valor, I, I can handle this. And so I think for us to continue to grow, our prayers, we have to press through, we have to persevere. And at some point, at some point, we realize how great our sin really is, but how matchless the love of God is. We need to come to a point as we persevere forward that we realize this is really all about him and not about us. But many of us reach this plateau where things get really hard, and what do we do? We quit. We stop. We cease. We check out. Next Sunday, at this very moment, Nate and I will be uh, in Chattanooga doing an Ironman race. Now, for those of you don't, and look, I'm not looking for any attention to me or Nate. Um, for those of you who don't know, an Ironman is like a 2.4-mile swim, 112-mile bike, and then a full marathon. And, um, yeah, I signed up and paid money to go do this next Sunday. Sometime a week from today, I promise you, I'm going to want to quit. I know over and over I'm going to want to quit. Now, barring physical injury or something, my goal is to keep going no matter, no matter what. To keep moving forward. My forward momentum may slow I may walk, I may crawl, I don't know what's going to happen by the end. But you have to persevere. And perseverance takes a mentality going in, before you start, I am not going to quit. We need to keep moving forward in the grace of God. Because the enemy will at some point come to you and talk about, look, just give it up. This is not worth it. God doesn't love you. Look, if he loved you, he'd answer your prayers more. I mean, he'll start lying to you, accuse God to you. He'll accuse your pe- the church to you. I mean, all sorts of stuff are going to make you want to quit. But solid food is for the mature who have done what? Who have done what? By constant use doing what they're supposed to have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Here's the other thing about my race next week. I've been training pretty hard for six months for next week. Now, I was in, I was in terrible shape before I started, but I've, I mean, for the last six months, I've had a training plan that I have followed fairly rigorously. Um, it's kind of funny, my, my wife... Um, I talked to her before I ever started this process because this has kind of been one of those bucket list things I've always wanted to do. I just want to do one in my lifetime. and So we talked about it because it's expensive. They're, the race is not cheap. So I signed up for it. I paid the money a year ago. I mean, I had to sign up a year ago for this race. So, But then six months ago, I had to start training. And my wife has always been one of these people who, like, uh, she'll say to me late at night, what, what do you are you going to go run in the morning? I said, yeah, I'm going to go run at five in the morning. And she would always say, why? Why are you going to do that? Why not? After I paid all this money, she, 
everything changed. It was like this. It was like this. The alarm would go off, and I'd, I'd be laying in bed thinking, I don't really want to go swim. I really don't want to. Kathy was like, hey, hey, get out of bed. <laughs> we paid all this money. Get up. You're going to go do this. Sometime to persevere, we need somebody to kick us out of bed. We need somebody to help us move forward. We need something you can tell what speaks to my wife, right? It's not my health. It's not the how long am I going to live. We paid this money. Get out of bed. Go. Whatever the motivation might be, you need people in your life who will help say to you, who will spur you on to love and good deeds. That's why Christian life in isolation doesn't work very well. We need help moving forward. My clicker, I've lost it. Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem and moved in that direction. He said to the crowd, if any of you want to follow me, you've got to take up your cross daily and follow me. It takes perseverance. Taking up a daily cross instrument of death and destruction on a daily basis. It takes perseverance. Henry Ford once said, you can't build a reputation on what you're going to do. Third point is this. Growth has a goal. Growth has a goal. Verse 12, he says, we do not want you to become lazy but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. Don't become lazy. Again, he's really getting after him, isn't he? Don't become lazy. Quit being so lazy. Instead, do what? Imitate those. In other words, look to those who, have, who are ahead of you. Look to those who are more mature. Look to those who through faith and patience have inherited what has been promised. Look to the cloud of witnesses. Look to the saints. Look to Jesus. Look to them. There is a goal. First Peter, Peter says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. If we're, gonna, if we're in faith going to take hold of that which is unseen, we may not see it physically, but we need to have the goal of what we're headed towards. We are... We are aiming for Christ-likeness, and we're aiming to be encouraged by imitating the faith of those that we've seen who have walked before us. My mom passed away two and a half years ago. She was an incredible woman of faith. I would love to be imitating the faith of my mother the way she prayed, the way she read the word. There is a goal there. I've seen someone who lived their life as a person of faith. Timothy says, Paul says to Timothy, don't waste your time arguing over godless ideas and old wives' tales. Instead, spend your time and energy in training yourself for spiritual fitness. Physical exercise has some value, but spiritual exercise is much more important for it promises a reward in both this life and the next. Whole topic of discipline, the disciplined life 
comes into play here. And the aim of disciplined life in the spiritual realm is because it, the benefits are eternal. Proverbs says, commit to the Lord whatever you do, and your plans will succeed. I don't know if you saw this past week, um, there's an airplane, it was a jet blue plane, it took off from, I think, Long Beach, California, was headed to Texas, and it blew an engine. It had kind of go, gone out over the Pacific, and while it had gone before it turned around, it had not been in the air long, it blew an engine. Smoke fills the cabin, uh, the people panic, as you would, the oxygen masks eventually come down. They didn't come down automatically. The stewardesses had to go through and do something to make the oxygen mask come down. And After they got off the plane, the plane lands safely. They deploy those big slides. People go down. People had reported what happened on the plane. Some said many wept, some prayed, One passenger named Jared West, who slid down holding his black chihuahua, says this. I don't know, something about the lead into that just cracks me up. Come on. He says, I'm just happy to be alive. I don't think I'll be mean to anybody ever again. I've got a goal. I'm never going to be mean to anybody ever again. Me and Poochie, we're going to be really friendly with everybody from here on out. How long do you think that's going to last? Till somebody's mean to him. Or somebody gets in his way. Or somebody doesn't love Poochie like he loves Poochie. At some point... He will he'll go back. Why? Because only through the grace of God can we even accomplish any of these things. But through the grace of God, if we're intentional, if we persevere, if we head toward Christ's likeness, church, we will grow up. If you had to be gut-level honest this morning about where you are in the Lord, would you say like, you know, honestly, I'm still, I'm barely out of the crib. I'm like a toddler. Or maybe you would say, you know what, I'm more like an adolescent. More like a teenager. Or, I think I'm, I'm not perfect, but I, I'm reproducing, I'm growing in the Lord. I, where are you this morning? Because, let me just say this, these teachings in Hebrews are not going to get easier in the days ahead. The waters keep, keep, keep getting deeper and deeper. And I think God has a purpose for fullness. God has a plan for this place. And you can either, you have a choice. You can either say, you know what, I, I'm, and 
you might as well be honest with yourself. I'm going to stay as a baby. I really love the milk. The food is really hard to chew. I, I would rather somebody just take care of me. Or, no, I, I want to grow up in the Lord. I want to, obviously, I think this is a better place. Not that I'm totally where I think God wants me to be. I'm still growing in the Lord. But the author of Hebrews makes it clear. Get over yourself. Let's move on in growth in the Lord. Put down the remote. Put down the video game. Put down the magazine. Put down the whatever that's keeping you from growing in the Lord and focus your attention on him. Stand up with me and let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, we thank you for the grace and mercy of our Lord and Savior that's being extended toward us right now. We thank you that we could not save ourselves, but through your incredible sacrifice, we receive faith, grace, salvation. And Lord, I pray that right now we will grow up in the Lord. For those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, I pray that we won't remain perpetually as infants, but that instead we'll move on in faith and joy in the Lord. We'll grow up in you. Lord, may we have as our goal Christ-likeness. When we are tempted to quit, I pray, God, you would strengthen us and we would lean into your presence even more. Lord, where we haven't had the intent to grow, I pray we would just be changed right now. Spirit of truth, Thank you for this scripture and this teaching that we can change and be moved forward. I pray that this morning, Spirit of Truth, your presence would be here among us and on us, that would, you would show us exactly where we really are. For some of us, it may be brutal. We may have been followers of Jesus Christ for 10, 15, 20 years, but we're still not mature. Lord, I pray for no guilt and no condemnation, but I instead pray that, God, you would spur us forward, that a year from now we would not be in the same place we are right now. And I pray, Lord, that we would, we would just let go of this idea that this is all about us, and instead, Lord, we would focus on you Focus on your plan. Focus on your future. Focus on seeing others come to either faith in Christ or helping spur them on to grow in maturity. Lord, I thank you for this people in this place. I pray this morning, if there's anyone here who doesn't even know Jesus Christ, doesn't know the realness of, of his lordship, his leadership in their life, hasn't had their sins forgiven, that spirit of God, you would draw them to the name of Jesus. Holy Spirit, come and lead us to the Son.
Lord, I pray as we go from this place that we'll go in might and in power, in peace and in joy with the intent of growing up in you. Lord, we thank you. We bless you. We praise you. Now, to him who's able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or even imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. God bless you. I love you. Have a wonderful, wonderful day in the Lord.